Wherever you are in your adoption journey, we are a community centered around love, trust, and respect for the experience and opportunities that have made us families. We promise to share, encourage, support, and celebrate the day-to-day of adoptive mamahood together. I'm Liz. And I'm Sarah. And together, we are Two Adoptive Mamas. And welcome back to the Two Adoptive Mamas podcast. Sarah and Liz here. And we are really thrilled that wherever you are um, this morning or this afternoon or evening that you're popping your earbuds in and joining us for this episode, we are thrilled to welcome back a veteran to the show, Chelsea Sobolik. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, hey. How are y'all? Good. Really thrilled to um, have you here again. And so for our listeners, we will link up Chelsea's first episode in our show notes. So be sure to check that out. But there's been lots of exciting things happening in Chelsea's life. So we are excited to have her here, get an update and talk about what she's been working on. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you. So like I said, we kind of know you, but let's just start it off with a quick refresher on your connection to the adoption and foster care community um, and kind of what that looks like for you right now in this season of life. Absolutely. So since we last chatted, I probably have one more stronger connection, which I will share um, in a minute, but um, two personal ones and then the, the newest one is professional, but I was adopted internationally as a baby from Romania. And then um, my parents, so my parents adopted myself, a little boy um, at the same time. Um, We're not biologically related. We're 11 days apart. We were essentially raised as twins, which was so much fun. Um, And then over the years, they adopted four more children from Russia. And then I have a cousin who's adopted from Ukraine. So that part of the world is near and dear to our hearts. Um, and then my husband and I are in our own international adoption process right now, um, which I'm sure we can get into, but we were matched with a little boy. We're adopting from India. We were matched with a little boy, uh, last fall. Um, so we're going through all the process, all the steps to, to bring them home. Um, and then the third way I'm connected to these issues is I actually now work full-time in child welfare, um, so I work for an organization called Lifeline Children's Services, and I do their policy and advocacy work. So my husband and I live in the D.C. area, um, and I am up here doing policy, helping policies pass that uh, care for kids and families and helping stave off bad policies that, that don't help uh, advance human flourishing. Yeah, it's pretty unique, Chelsea, that, you know, you are so connected personally, but also professionally, we don't always see that. And so you kind of have all these different vantage points. um, And that's really unique. So love to always hear your perspective there. It's going to go into all the perspectives, and it's going to be great. (laughs) So thank you. Yeah, you, I always love chatting with you, because um, you have a way of making big high level important things that are happening in our country or in orphan care in general, really personal and like available, I guess, for like how an individual person who's going about their day to day can be thinking about these things. So anyway, as we were getting there, 
Can you just, yeah, share a little more about um, your personal process with the with India and um, you being matched and kind of what are some of the things that you and your husband are going through right now? Like those feelings, anything that you're really yes. excited and celebrating? Um, all of all, that. The, <laughs> all the things. So we, uh, Michael and I knew before we got married that we would build our family through adoption. Um, our story is a little bit unique in the sense that most people, when they walk through infertility or miscarriage, do so in the context of a marriage. But I was actually um, a teenager when I found out that I had a medical diagnosis that would prevent me from having biological kids. So we knew walking into marriage that adoption would be how we built our family. But beyond that, we had nothing else built out. We didn't know if God was calling us to adopt domestically, internationally, adopt from foster care. Um we didn't know. And actually, March 2020 gave us the, the space to start having some of those conversations. And we would go on long walks almost every day just to get out of the house. We called them sanity walks. I think the country was doing that. And we just started to have conversations of what would this what would this look like for our family? Where is God leading us? What is he calling us to? Um, and we had conversations with Friends we knew who had walked through adoption processes, but also there were some people we reached out to just kind of whole turkey who we didn't know super well and said, hey, would you would you chat with us? So to make a long story short, we ended up, um, the Lord led us to international adoption, inter-country adoption. Um, and then, again, long story short, we ended up selecting India. Um, so we... Um, Again, we're matched last fall um, and in God's kindness. So all adoptions out of India, the, the kiddo has some level of medical special need. Um, but um, we live about an hour from Johns Hopkins. And there's a doctor at Hopkins who um, specializes in our kiddo's condition. So we're able to sat, sit down with him and chat through um, his file. Um, and we have... Uh, his photos on our fridge and we were just oh, so excited to get to bring him home. I will say we uh, moved at the end of last year from DC proper to Northern Virginia and it was only six miles, but it was technically across state lines and I will never, ever, ever move across state lines in the middle of an adoption process. Um, I wasn't, fully prepared for all that we were going to have to update. Uh, so for folks familiar with the international adoption process, we got our I-800 approval back, and then we had to rush and do a home study update to the I-800. Um, so that, Those are that update is just not... We've just, done that too. <laughs> oh, if I could tell anyone anything, don't move. Yeah, don't move. Just stay still to. until they're home. Yeah. Yes, yes. So... <laughs> I will never move during an adoption process again, but we got it done. We're moved. We're settled. Um, and just waiting, uh, waiting till India gives us the green light. 
That's amazing. That's so exciting. And um, yeah, we're just continuing to pray for you in that process. I think last time we spoke, you. you were still in the very beginning stages of kind of deciding what was yes. next. And um, you, I think you knew it was India, but that was pretty mm-hmm. much you were still going through the home study. So um, that's really exciting. And so amidst the excitement, something we kind of always talk about here at Two Adoptive Mamas is a shadow feeling that maybe we're working through. And kind of, you know, one of those maybe taboo things or just kind of the unspoken. And um, you feel like you might have to express that feeling in the right company or maybe kind of hold (laughs) it in. And so um, if you could share with us, Chelsea, maybe something you've recently worked through um, and kind of where you've seen um, hope and and God's truth and promises kind of work through that shadow feeling. I actually have a lot I could say here. (laughs) Oh, quite a lot. I think the two biggest things that Michael and I have had conversations about together that is that that would fit in that category are number one, the loneliness that can come with walking through an adoption process um, just because not everyone builds their family through adoption. And so we f- have found that oftentimes we do more explaining to people. Oh, here's where we are in the process. Here's, Here's what that means, like putting it into context. And we, I mean, I'm so thankful for every single person who asks us how the how the adoption process is going, but we feel like we do more explaining than actually get understanding. And I think that's been really difficult um, just to, to walk. And again, I'm so thankful for people who ask and who care and want to know, but I mean, honestly, I've said, I kind of just want to print off a one pager and just start handing it to people of, here, here's the, here's the update. Um, so I think that's been really difficult. Um, our, I will say we have our closest friends in DC. It's a couple, um, they adopted a little boy domestically. Um, and so they understand while pretty different circumstances, they understand what a home study update means or what we mean when we say today was a hard day with waiting or, X, Y, and Z. So having um, having friends who who get it, um, and I'm sure you guys have felt similar things, and people listening may have felt just a loneliness that um, that I think can come in the process again because not everyone builds their family through through adoption. So that's that's one thing I would say. And then the second, and we've really wrestled through this and. Um, It's when we tell people we're adopting and their immediate gut reaction is to tell us what good people we are or what a good thing we're doing. And while I, I, again, appreciate their desire to, you know, say something positive about walking through an adoption process. I mean, the reality is every adoption starts with loss and heartbreak and we are bringing a little child into our family because his first family couldn't care for him and that's heartbreaking and we're also not the heroes of this story um we're not the we're not the saviors of this story and that's really i think we wrestle a lot when people respond to us in that way and they just say oh what a good thing you're doing or this kid's gonna be so lucky and and we get home and we say, we're, we're the lucky ones. You know, we, we are so thankful to get to walk through this process. And, you know, another layer under that that I often talk to Michael about is 
a lot of people when they respond that way have no clue I'm adopted internationally. And that adds another layer of complexity when people say that or say other things that show that they don't understand adoption. Um, And we, I mean, 99% of the time respond graciously and try to use those opportunities as a gentle teaching opportunity of, Hey, here's a a better way to say this, or, you know, maybe don't ask someone else that question or, or things like that. But I think in the privacy of our own home, those are some things that the shadow feelings that we, we talk through and wrestle with. And um, again, wanting to be gracious because so much of it is from a, a place of, you know, people being curious or people wanting to celebrate with us or wanting to come alongside of us. But, um, but it can be, those things can be tricky to navigate sometimes. For sure. And you definitely resonate. I'm sure those shadow feelings resonate with all of our listeners. I mean, whether it's domestic or international, you kind of have this, like you're ramping up to the weight and then you're matched. And then there's this, oh wait, we're matched. And now there's like a second weight. And then, and then you get home and it's like, okay, now we're doing this, you know? And, um, yeah, there's just a lot to, to work through and, and fears and challenges and nerves and anxiety. And so, um, yeah, that can be really challenging. So thanks for your vulnerability and sharing that. And I think putting to words what so many of us also feel. I think to, uh, I'll close that thought with maybe hopeful note. One thing that I think Michael and I keep coming back to, it's really built our prayer life. And I, because again, a lot of this comes from well-meaning people, but at the end of the day, there's a lack of understanding. And so I feel like I've found myself praying so much more because God understands and he like that's a safe place to be able to say all the hard things, like to to wrestle through all those those things and um, you know complex emotions and so I feel like that has been something that has come out of that that I'm thankful for is it has taught us how to to really lean into to prayer um, in that um, because God understands <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. That was beautifully said, Chelsea, (laughs) and so true. Um, One more personal uh, or just kind of update question. Uh, We know you're writing a second book. So can you talk to us a little bit about that process and something that you've been learning through that specific avenue um, with writing and preparing for that? Yes. So my second book is on women and work. Um, It's I don't think they're going to change the title, so I think I can say it, but it's called um, Called to Cultivate a Gospel Vision for Women in Work. And I am very passionate about this topic of women and work, Um, not necessarily women in the workforce, although I talk a lot about that, but all women work, whether inside the home or outside the home or a combination of the two or depending on your season. Um, But I'm really excited about this. And I feel like it's almost a continuation of longing for motherhood, my first one. And that one, I talked a lot about how I I think in some circles, 
of Christianity, they'll say a woman's highest calling is to be a wife and mother. And in that first one, I really tried to show that women who never have biological children or women who God never calls to be mothers here on the side of fraternity are just as valuable in the kingdom of Christ um, and have, have a place in a flourishing society. And with this one, um, I really wanted to show that from, you know, Genesis to Revelation, women are a valuable part of the kingdom of God and are called to work and called to cultivate and called to build the kingdom. So I'm very excited about it. Um, and I think writing a second one, I mean, anytime you do something for the first time, you have no clue what you're doing. <laughs> um, so I, I took a lot of valuable lessons from writing the first one. And um, yeah, I, I feel like I've grown as a writer, which feels good to feel like your craft is getting better. But um, I'm really excited about this book and the message and um, helping helping women in different seasons and different stages um, see that their work, again, whether inside the home or outside the home, has has value both now and for eternity. I mean this genuinely when I say I cannot wait to read it. So that is, <laughs> yeah, that is something I think that moms who, whether again, like you said, you're working outside the home or inside the home, it's something that kind of resonates with our core. And so I, yes. yeah, that will be fantastic. So get ready. You're going to have to come back a third time to <laughs> okay. talk just about that. <laughs> I'm so, here for it. <laughs> Um, so your professional roles, so let's shift gears a little bit, although, I mean, being, being an author is quite professional, so <laughs> you have many, um, many talents here, Chelsea, but you, I guess pretty recently, um, accepted a position as senior director of policy and advocacy at Lifeline Children's Services. So first of all, what an honor and just what an incredible organization and role. And, um, I know personally, I've kind of followed along with the work they've been doing for a while. So tell us a little bit more about the mission of Lifeline and kind of your role and what's exciting about it and maybe even something you're working on right now. So Lifeline's mission, full disclosure, we're actually adopting through Lifeline. Um, So I've respected Lifeline for a long, long time before I chose to work there professionally. Um, Really think so highly of them and um, but Lifeline's mission is to manifest the gospel to vulnerable, orphans and vulnerable children in the U.S. and around the world. Um, and the thing I love so much about them is they actually mean it. They actually really do put the gospel at the front and center of everything they do. Um, so we're a holistic care organization for women, children, and families. What that looks like practically. Um, we're licensed in 17 states here in the U.S. and then we're in 23 countries around the world. So we do pregnancy counseling, family reunification efforts, um, certainly domestic adoption. Um, We offer counseling for women, um, adoptive parents and adoptees, which I I love that emphasis on all three parts of the triad. And then international adoption and global orphan care. So less than 1% of all the orphans globally will ever be adopted internationally. Um, So we partner with NGOs and churches in local countries to care for um, kids as they're aging out and help them to be um, flourishing members of society. And the thing I love, so my role is to, 
you know, work on public policy at a federal level and then the state level that protects kids and uh, whether it's children in the womb or children who are born and their moms and their families. Um, so it's pretty broad, but um, more like traditional pro-life issues like caring for kids in the womb, but then working on adoption and foster care, um, working on child protection or working on policies that help women, um, you know, help women feel like, you know, we know the reasons women say they have abortions um, and helping meet women in those moments, whether it's financial or, um, you know, helping to to mitigate those needs. Um, and while I think policy really matters, I've spent my whole career on it. Um, what I love about Lifeline is the church can be where the government can't and shouldn't. The church is everywhere, and I don't think the government should be everywhere. Um, so I really do love that, you know, I get to play my small role in helping advance policy. Um, but ultimately, our mission is so much bigger and really does. Um, again, we can help meet financial needs and, um, you know, physical needs. The government can help do that, but the government can't meet relational needs. They can't commit to an individual person for the long haul or meet spiritual needs or emotional needs. Um, and we can connect people to the local church who can wrap around people and provide long-term support. So I love, I love what I get to do. Um, yeah, it really is, really is uh, a special, special job. That's awesome. And um, I'm excited because one of the things and this like kind of that national level uh, policy or just landscape that we're in now is what I wanted to uh, ask you about next and you and just how you describe um, how the church can be everywhere and in places that the government can't and just thinking through how God ordained and set up institutions like the institution of family and church and government and how all of those inter play with one another um it gets messy and complicated sometimes so um so that being said one of um i guess where we want to land or kind of finish out our time together is talking about your thoughts um on what adoption and foster care look like in a post roe v wade world and i guess let's just start at a basic level and and what are your thoughts on what this means for the community, for the adoption and foster care community? There's a, a lot I could say here. So I know. <laughs> I know there's so <laughs> much. <That's>, yes, <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So little, uh, I'll catch up real quick for people who might not have been tracking super closely. But last summer, there was a case handed down by the Supreme Court called the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, um, and that case essentially reversed the precedents that were set in Roe v. Wade and then another abortion case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So around the time when the uh, case was being litigated and then handed down, there's a lot of headlines that said abortion's going to be outlawed or all this fear mongering. And as a pro-life Christian, while I wish there was never an abortion, I wish no woman ever had one and felt like she needed one. That's not what the Supreme Court case did. 
all it did was hand it said there's no constitutional right to abortion and gave that issue back to the states to let them decide. So now we have 50 different state laws that look, you know, different in every single state. Um, so there are some states um, that have completely banned abortion. Um, and then there's other states um, and actually DC, which is just a few miles down the road that allows for abortion for any reason up to the moment of birth. So there, I mean, in some ways it children in the womb enjoy protections if their mom is living in one state versus another. Um, but, you know, one of the things while I'm grateful for every single law that protects children in the womb, and I think we should work on more of those to protect children. Um, the reality is there are going to be more women who, um, who have needs and, um, I think the pro-life movement is is taking steps in this direction. Um, like as a whole, again, there's been there's been people who have served faithfully for decades and decades, but the movement as a whole is shifting towards more of a a holistic um, approach, I guess. So, I mean, we've seen policy conversations on things like paid family leave or child tax credit, and while the, we're having those debates and in government and I think we should like we absolutely should um you know one of the things that I'm sure we've all seen is some people talking about adoption in ways that might not be helpful what I mean by that is um in with adoption it's not it's not an easy answer to abortion um I, I mean there's no easy answer you know if a woman parents that's hard and she she might have three kids at home and be a single mom and working two jobs to make ends meet like that's hard and if she parents her child if that's her in her best interest and her child's best interest like we have got to be there to wrap around her and offer respite care or babysit or bring a meal or things like that but with adoption and I I I think one of the things that I mean, some of this can be hard to capture in a headline or things like that, but a birth mom is making issues. A birth mom's giving up the most precious thing she has on this planet to someone else. And that's loss. And she, like, some women grieve that for the rest of their lives. Um, and so I struggle when we present adoption as the easy answer to abortion. It is a solution, but I don't think it is the solution in the sense that um, it involves loss and it's hard um, for her. It, I mean, it starts in loss. And so adoption absolutely has a part of the conversation. It needs to be a part of the conversation, but it is not the solution to having an abortion. I think the solution is number one, making abortion unthinkable. So making sure a woman has all the resources at her fingertips to be able to either make a parenting decision if that's in her best interest and her child's best interest or an adoption plan for her and her child. So that, and then, um, you know, walking through committing to people for the long term. Um, and that's, I mean, people, people's lives are messy. Our life is messy. You know, I think that takes a level of commitment to our communities that sometimes we're, you know, 
frankly, sometimes we're not willing to do. So I think um, we need to look where we live, you know, who is around us. Ministry in a rural context looks much different than ministry in an urban context and really commit to the people in our community um, for the long term. So that was a very long answer to a short question, but no, it um, was, it was great. Yeah. I'm, and you kind of alluded to this already, um, but I'm going to try and bring like some of the themes that you've touched on um, in our short time together, but you talked a lot about how, you know, the church is able to go places that government can't. And um, you also just gave some really practical ways that the church and we as believers can um, minister to the needs that are in front of us, um, like coming alongside them and being there. Um, But I'm curious to hear like from your vantage point, because you are really passionate and invested in policy at a high level. And we want to encourage and mobilize the church both globally and locally. So how do you reconcile the two? How would you encourage a listener right now who's could be listening anywhere like you said urban rural whatever how can they reconcile these like high level thoughts about policy and the really strong importance that there is in impacting policy but also just being the church and being there for the person next door there's two two things i'd say um and i'll try to be quicker uh number one i think both matter um being involved in policy, but God calls us to different levels of that. Like God has called me to, for my professional job to be in public policy, but for you, he might say, or for you, you know, faithful political engagement in the public sphere might be voting regularly or making sure you're staying up to date with, with issues. Like it, God calls us to different, different things. So I think both matter, you know, being, engage in the public square but then and I say this pretty often but you can't solve an issue you don't understand and you can't understand from a distance um so really making sure that we are involved in our local communities um and I think when we talk about you know there's this many children who are being aborted or this many orphans in the world or whatever we can get I get so overwhelmed I'm like I have to do everything but that's not true. Like, like God calls us to be faithful with what's in front of us. And um, so I'd really encourage people to prayerfully consider who God's placed in your path or um, what gifts and talents you have. Um, Could you open up your home to be a foster family or, you know, has God blessed you with extraordinary wealth? Be generous with that. So I think, you know, prayerfully consider what, um, you know, engagement in the public square looks like, but then also um, what loving your actual neighbor looks like as well. Well, like Liz said at the beginning, Chelsea, I'm always impressed and grateful for the way that you can kind of take these high 30,000 foot view topics and in 30 minutes, we can make it palatable for moms and for our listeners. And I really appreciate um, how you always point us to the unique giftings that God has entrusted us with and how we can use those to be a light in the foster and adoptive community in whatever capacity that might be. Um, So we're just really grateful for your willingness to join and share. Thank you so much. 
And we, um, yeah, we will just look forward. We're going to keep up with you. I know that our <laughs> listeners love to hear from you. So as long as you'll allow us to bug you, we'll, we'll keep bugging you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, um, thank you for having me again. Absolutely. And for all of our listeners, until we meet again, remember you've got this mama. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode or know someone who could benefit from our show, the best thing to do is leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're grateful to be hosting the Two Adoptive Mamas podcast for a fourth season. Learn more about how you can support our ongoing work through our Patreon at twoadoptivemamas.com. As always, it's been fun. Until we meet again, remember, you've got this, mama. Mama.